Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops podcast, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. Uh, the Hawks are the number nine seed in the East. They have a game coming up in a couple of days, uh, Wednesday specifically, against the Hornets at home. And so they're in the play-in tournament. They got to win two games. And I guess my first question to you, Glenn, is, is who do you like for the Hawks in the draft lottery if they don't win two games in a row this week? Well, uh, I can talk about the very top. So they have to win uh, okay. you know, win the lottery, you know. So, yeah, I don't start my work on the draft class until, like, late April, typically. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not ready to talk about that. If you want to talk about Chet Holmgren, he's from Minnesota, which is, you know, where I lived for 11 years. So I know a little bit about, about him. Um, uh, Minnesota's been pumping out some basketball talent, um, you know, so I could talk about him. Um, I, we all got to see Paolo, uh, I think, in the in the tournament for those of us that watched. And so I could probably talk about the two of them a little bit, but not not in the way that I would want to come uh, say a week to two before the draft is when I, I feel like I'm ready to say here's my view on things. So yeah, I don't not an answer. And that was a comedic question anyway. So but I gave a <laughs> serious answer to it. <laughs> Who do you like, Kevin? I should turn. I should just turn around on you, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, no, don't do that. <laughs> All right. So Charlotte, they've they've been a feisty opponent for the Hawks and really for a couple of seasons now. Uh, they seem to have a decent handle on defending Trey when you might not think that they would. Like they're not a great defensive teams, but they've had some good performances against him. Uh, mm-hmm. What are you expecting from Charlotte defensively uh, Wednesday? Yeah, it was interesting. I spent some time this evening kind of going back and rewatching some of each of the games with um, uh, with it making some sense to spend more time on games three and four, which were late January and mid-March games. And it was interesting. Um, when you and I talked last, I think you had mentioned – um, that Montrez Harrell was, was an interesting person to kind of think about in this context. And Hawks fans, you know, may not even fully remember that he's on the team because, you know, it came with the trade deadline and they've only right. faced them one time since then. But, you know, I think Charlotte has been summarized as a team on defense that plays small lineups, switches a lot. Um, they have a lot of the techniques down that teams that switch a lot do. Like my favorite to call out is, when PJ Washington or Miles Bridges is playing at the five on defense and not a given possession and Capella says coming to set the screen and they push the screen or pass the point of the screen. So they don't have to deal with that. And the referees never call that. Um, and you have a theory that you've, I think makes a lot of sense that smaller guys, especially guards get a lot more leeway on things like, like that defensively. I think Charlotte has been coached to, do a ton of that stuff and to use their guards you know hawks have done more guard guard and guard wing pick and roll here later in the season so you're looking at martin and rogier and ball and you know those types of players um but it was interesting kevin when i watched the last game which was when they played plumley and harrell mostly at the five they didn't switch they were playing drop with what i think some people would call 
kind of a, a high wall scheme where the, the highest defender on the weak side is helping all the way at the nail to take away okay. that lane that Trey would use to generate a floater. But they weren't switching much. <clears throat> they did use um, – Harold got a second foul early in the first half, and P.J. Washington did come in at center, and then he started switching then. So it's still in their bag. But I think if their plan is to <clears throat> kind of play the rotation instead of they've been playing for a while – um, which is Plumley backed up by Harrell and then closing with the one that makes the most sense. Um, I think Hawks fans might be surprised that we might not see as much switching as we did cumulatively across all four games this year. So that was the thing that jumped out to be the most when I kind of went back and did some rewatching. So if they do that sort of uh, you know, defensive scheme where they, they, they kind of play the pick and roll straight, but they, they bring somebody in from, from the high side on the weak side, mm -hmm. is that does that put the onus on and Bogey and Herder? It's I mean, we kind of went through this last time about you know that right. those might be the lineups. I don't know. I, I mean, I know you're going to need Hunter in some games in some situations, but maybe you. I don't know. Do you do you need him as much against Charlotte, or do you just kind of need more offense to make make Charlotte uncomfortable on defense? Yeah, I, I do think it will come down to needing good play from Bogey and Herder on the weak side, attacking the scene that opens up there. Trey can uh, deliver the ball on time and, and all that sort of stuff. And, it, and what kind of further reinforces how important the question you ask is, is that they work really hard at, at denying Trey really good shots. I mean, all four games. Uh, it was tough for Trey to kind of find the shots that he wants to find um and such and it was always like there was a game where collins had like 30 and in the first game capella had 20 and 15 you can kind of see that they're loading up on trey and that the scoring right. even when the hawks won came through the secondary scores and you know so i think gallo is important there too a lot of times gallo will play kind of like yeah. a wing will um right you know and, and, and such a kind of lift on that weak side and attack and you know, and things like that. But, you know, in games one and two, we saw a lot of them trying to play through Gallo on mismatches after switches. That was not a thing in game four because they weren't switching, right? So, you know, those of us who kind of don't think that's their best offense are going to like the fact that we're probably not going to see a ton of that unless they play a lot of PJ Washington at the five for whatever reason. So, I mean, I think in, in a postseason setting, you've, you've, I think you have to assume those secondary creators are going to have to do well for you to have success. And I think that's true here. Uh, even though the Hornets don't measure defensively, uh, you know, according to defensive rating, much better than the Hawks. Um, I still think they're, you know, they have a veteran coaching staff that, that kind of knows how to, you know, uh, approach a game and kind of get their D team doing the, the basic things that are, are wanted, you know, from the coaching staff. But yeah, I mean, on that weak side, it's going to be, going to be critical what's that high defender on the weak side pulls all the way into the now having someone just a step or two above the three-point break on that weak side ready to either shoot if they're open or attack if there's a seam right there and have someone move to that weak side corner if the that person attacks the seam and it collapses the defense that's where charlotte is going to let the hawks i think generate a lot of shots from that side of the floor as to take the ball out of trade's hands they're going to, have to make those shots they're going to have to attack you know soundly um, you know, and it's funny we're not talking about Hunter, but Hunter might be, you know, in that situation. And, and it's been uh, mostly ugly from him in terms of ball handling and shooting at, at the rim and things like that. So it's just, I mean, just throwing that out there, something to keep an eye on. Hunter could find himself in that situation too. I think they'll try to make it 
Bogey, Herder, and then some of Gallo, depending on kind of the lineups they're playing there. But, um, but yeah, that's that's what we'll see. But like statistically, interesting that Hornets are fifth in pace, and I saw that jump out at me when I went back and rewatched. They were pushing the ball all the time. There even times Mason Plumley was just pushing the ball up the court off of a rebound yeah. all on his own. Everybody's just running right. Uh, I would hope that teams learn to just attack his him, him with a live triple cook the ball from him. <laughs> but you know, yeah. Um they're third in points off turnovers. Um and when you look at kind of the trend across the four games that were split two to two, um they generate a lot of scoring off Hawks turnovers, even though the Hawks turned the ball over least, you know, on a per position basis. Like in the league, there was one game where the Hawks had like only 11 turnovers and the Hornets had 23 points off turnovers. So they, <laughs> so they like pounce absolutely pounced on turnovers and create a lot of points there second fast break points third in points in the paint which i assume a lot of that points in the paint is transition um sixth and three point percentage um but they're second they they're, they allow the second most second chance points and so if you kind of roll all that up into what are we going to see like the hawks have to prioritize transition defense but there's also an opportunity on the offensive glass if you want to like let Capella loose there and let a Congo loose there. If JC were playing, we'd be talking about him too, you know. And so the the Hawks have a kind of a a decision to make around: do we chase easy points on putbacks because uh, on a per game basis, Hornets opponents get 15 points on the offensive glass, um, but the Hornets generate 16.3 in in transition. They generate 18.6 off turnovers. Um, and and the Hornets re- gamble for turnovers like crazy. They jump passing lanes and they'll leave themselves uh, kind of open to you know a five on four or a four on three if they miss that turnover they gamble for. So they they take a lot of risk. They're high risk high reward on defense, and that includes really not having enough rebound. Um, you know you know there. So it's gonna be interesting to see like do the Hawks say hey number one this transition defense, because we don't want to allow those easy points after turnovers. We don't want to allow the easy points in transition. So we're all going to get back and get set. We're going to get five bodies back. Or might they say they're pretty bad on the defensive glass, so let's go chase and put back. So that's something to watch, I think, that even the first you know, four or five minutes of the game there. So lots I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, I, mean, I sort of expect, you know, Capella to, to keep crashing. Even more so if, you know, Trey gets the Hornets into some sort of defensive coverage where they're really, you know, they're just out of sorts. Not out of, out of sorts isn't the right way, but, you know, the more that they kind of contort themselves to try to stop Trey, <clears throat> the more that's going to open offensive rebounding, whether it's switching or, you know, trapping, all that stuff, you know pretty much, you know, anything other than sort of your drop, pick and roll coverage, that, that's sort of your best rebounding option. All the others kind of open up those offensive rebounding chances for Clint. I suspect he'll crash, but, you know, that's where you miss John Collins. That's where DeAndre Hunter is going to have a lot of value. Uh, Gallo less so. And, you know, it, it'll be interesting. There have been times where, you know, Nate has made a, a big priority of it and the Hawks have been pretty good at it with their perimeter players, but We'll have to see. I mean, I guess one question that I have here is that it's just a different beast coming up. It's not the regular season. You know, you've got 
more than 72 hours between games. What do you, what do you expect in terms of weirdness? Like what, what do you think these two teams might do out of the ordinary just because they have time to really tailor their game plan for the opponent? I don't see a lot of that here. Um, I think if Collins were playing, I think the, the Hawks could think about, uh, and they did, like even like earlier in the season when it was, when in the games, I think one or two games where Collins and Collins were all available, they moved Collins to the five and put Gallo on at the four and brought a Congo in later, like at the, right, maybe not even until the second quarter. And so I think that there would be a little bit of um, kind of that stuff going on, like, hey, do we try to go small before the Hornets might go small? Like, do we do we kind of deploy that tactic first, or do we wait for them to go small with P.J. Washington at the five, and then we'll counter? With J.C. not in the mix, I, I, they really don't have anything to work with there. It's going to be you know, Clint and the Congos basically, I think, splitting in this at the five because they're going to have to run sprint back in transition so much. I think it's going to be almost a 24, 24 minute split there between those two. Uh, unless, unless there's a lineup that's just really clicking and Nate rides that lineup for a while, what's going to happen, you know? And it's going to be Gallo and Hunter splitting, you know, splitting time at the four. So I just think the Hawks don't really have anything to work that's with. True. You know, in in that sense, uh, on the on the Hornets side, like I said, you know, they they didn't want to switch uh, in that last game that they played with Harold and Plumley, um, and so, but the, but they could like if they're like, hey, James Borrego might say like if the Hawks are controlling the pace and not letting the Hornets kind of push it up to the the pace that they want, you know, I could see Borrego saying, okay, we're going to take Plumley and Harold off the court, put PJ at the five, and now we're going to try to use that lineup to go faster, especially mm-hmm. if Gallo's on, right? Yep. Especially if you catch Gallo on when Clint is entering like his seventh, eighth minute, <clears throat> consecutive minute on the floor. And so, you know, there might be a little bit of kind of gamesmanship around that, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't expect to see much that will surprise me just because Gordon Hayward's not playing on the Hornets side, which kind of gives them a lot of flexibility because he's, Versal between two, three, and four, and kind of, and Hayward really did enable a lot of their switchable lineups because he could play. He can, they would trust him to like go down and anchor against the five, right? Because he's a big, strong, smart guy. He's out, right, on that side, which kind of leaves them with smaller bodies at the, you know, the guard positions, right? And the Hawks side not having JC just kind of, they have like a rotation template that I think is pretty inflexible. Um, so I, I I'm going to be surprised if I'm surprised. I guess is is my answer. Okay. Uh, anything else that you want to take note of here going into this? I, I, you mentioned before, you know, one thing is you mentioned that, you know, if the Hornets go to a switching situation, you know, the thing that they did early on was, you know, Gallo, you know, trying to do stuff one-on-one. And I, I would just say that I have a whole lot more faith in him doing that now than, than what he was doing in, you know, November, December. He just looks like an entirely different player to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the rewatch, like Martin held up on him really well. Martin is like a really resourceful player. Sure um, yeah, his twin down in Miami, we saw him. He was defending Trey in the eighty-first game the Hawks played. Right? I mean, it was basically Martin had him like eighty percent of those minutes. And so Gallo really, he never really let Gallo get the spot Gallo wants there, kind of in the mid post. Um, so that you know, maybe this goes better, but it's going to be Rogier. Um, are the like a big thing for me? I guess that I don't know is like are the Hornets going to play Isaiah Thomas? 
you know, because that that's a yeah, that's an easy one to pursue if they're switching when Isaiah's on the floor, you know. Right. Um, but you know, Lamelo, I think is um, he's not as resourceful kind of on the interior defensively like Martin is, but I don't think it's necessarily super easy. Um, but right. I mean, a lot of that, a lot of this came down to also like even when the Hornets weren't switching in that last game mid March they started bringing in like Martin all the way up to the level of the screen to kind of show or hedge on middle screens, not on the side, but on middle screen, middle pick and roll. Um, and Trey got a ton of fouls uh, kind of in that scenario where guys just couldn't kind of keep, uh, get their body set before Trey would turn a corner and Trey was just chasing contact there. And so I, I think one of the things that will impact this game the most is sort of the, the foul flow. Like this one team get into the, bonus you know earlier can Trey kind of make that happen or uh, on the other side um and trying to contain transition do the Hawks take you know two euro fouls a quarter on average you know hmm. to kind of stop what would be run out scores and if so how does that kind of eventually show up you know you know um they don't really have a guard that you think about like really drawing a lot of attention like Lamelo doesn't I mean, Lamelo's good at a lot of stuff, but the, he, it's not like either of the guys are like like Lamelo or Rozier. Neither of those guys are like trade. They're gonna go just initiate contact and be super physical on their drive, right? And things like that. So, I, you know, I think Trey is uh, by far um, more equipped to capitalize on the bonus situation than anyone on the Hornets side. Now, now Harrell will shoot like a million free throws in these random games because he's just so active on the offensive glass. Right, you know, it just beats you to the spot and things like that. But you don't worry about him as a free throw shooter, you know, as much because he's he's you know, usually mid sixties or so, right? I don't know what he is this year, but um, yeah, I think I think the kind of the foul flow, yeah, I think the foul flow could could be pretty significant, and I think maybe most importantly, and this might be really a, a nuanced area, is if the Hawks can avoid fouling in the half court. That's going to give them more euro euro fouls to work with, right? Um, to stop transition uh, uh, possessions. And so, if you can like if Capella can avoid can defend at the rim and avoid the fouls there. Same with the Kongwu. If you know if they can try to contain uh, you know ball handlers attacking the seams from the weak side without fouling, that's going to give them more to work with in transition, stop transition. And so, I think that's pretty big. Defensively, how do how do the Hawks match up with Miles Bridges? Yeah, that's a, that's a real tough you know, one. Because, it makes I mean, a lot more sense with John Collins around. It does, and I think it's going to have to be, you know, Hunter in those minutes, and you know, thankfully on the Charlotte side, Bridges starts, um, and presumably Hunter. Uh, well, I guess we'll have to see. Gallo will start, but you could, you know, it depends on how the Hornets kind of round up, round out their rotation, right? Um, they'll play ball on Rozier will start and then they'll have bridges. And I'm not, I'm not entirely sure who that other starter will be. Martin has been in there right. uh, in some cases, right? Um, uh, we haven't really seen Book Knight in there, you know, in the, in those guys and stuff like that. So, you know, you could put Gallo on Martin, you know, I, I, potentially if you want to cross match and put Hunter, who's on the floor with Gallo as a three on to Bridges. But we'll, we'll, I think we'll just have to kind of see. Nate may believe in 
hey, we're just going to put five defenders with feet in the paint at all times and, and not make it really a one-on-one kind of scenario. We're going to defend as a team. But like I said earlier, I mean, the Hornets put up a lot of threes and they were sixth in percentage. So, you know, you're going to have to close out on them. So it's, I mean, it's going to be tricky. That's going to be, yeah. that's going to be tricky. Yeah. Like Rozier and Ubre are just two of the, they just seem very high variance. For sure. Like there are nights where they just look like the greatest shooters in the world. And then there are nights where you're like, yeah, I'm not worried about that. <laughs> And, so it'll be and interesting I think, to see what goes what happens in that first quarter. And, and I think coaching staffs are are mostly going to look at that going in and say, you know, we're not going to make them a, a, a top defensive priority. You know, we're right. going to see if they're making shots and you know right. things like that. Yeah. Now, now uh, on the flip side, <laughs> you want strong closeouts. You want good X outs on the weak side. You want guys working, sure. busting their rear end. You want second, third efforts. So. That, that should be the expectation no matter who's on the court for the Charlotte and no matter whether they made their last one or two shots that they took or not. So now, but I've, I've become famous this year for saying like the Hawks are going to try to figure out exactly how much defense they have to play and they're not going to play. Come on, not, not in a not postseason the, game. I, I'm, home? I'm not saying it's going to, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying I might wait and see how, how it starts, you know, this team is just not so a ton of confidence in me. So, you know, I, I hope it's there, you know, and, the, and their second and third efforts have been better these last, you know, two to three weeks. It hasn't been consistent. It hasn't been a level you'd want to make any sort of kind of sustained run in the postseason. Uh, but it's it's been getting closer to kind of where it was versus, you know, Knicks, Sixers, uh, Bucks last year. Um, but, yeah, they're going to have to get out and close out, X out, Second, third effort, you know, that's going to be a huge part of this. Um, the end possessions because Charlotte can, uh, um, they, they don't statistically put up a lot of, you know, offensive rebounds and second chance points, but they are opportunistic in that way. And, uh, you know, Plumlee is active and Ubre will, you know, kind of chase long rebounds. And, you know, I, Charlotte's one of those teams like, I, I if, if there's something I expect from them, it's just going to be like some weird kind of thing to happen in a game where <laughs> an Ubre does something, you know, or a Rozier does something or, 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 you know, or whatever that is. But uh, yeah, it's um, containing the mellow and um, second, third efforts, X outs, close outs, all that, just the basic stuff is going to be crucial. I think Charlotte's good enough shooting, shooting the ball. It has to be there. Um, but I mean, Charlotte is also a team that will, Especially when it's Plumlee or Washington at the five, and some with Harold too. They'll they'll run their middle pick and roll like all the way up at the logo, and then so they want to spread you out. They want to get right. you know their def- five defenders away from each other, and make it hard for the five defenders to think about all getting back and getting a foot paint almost impossible, right? And so the Hawks have to figure out like how like do they want the big to come up to the level of the screen way up there or or not you know it's that's the other thing to watch is when Charlotte's running that really high screen and roll and trying to get the Hawks spread out on defense how do the Hawks work with that you know um that'll be that'll be interesting to see as well and that was a that was a mixed bag across the rewatch I had um but Charlotte's really wants to spread you out for sure well very good do you have any uh Thoughts on Brooklyn, Cleveland, and the other half of the plan? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Cleveland's been struggling. 
and the Bucks uh, G League squad almost came back. I mean, they that that they got it down to twelve on Sunday, right? Um, and which was kind of fun, kind of funny to see they were playing. So I, I think Brooklyn has the upper hand there. I just think the they're a veteran team and they kind of know how to handle um, kind of a, a game with pressure more than. You know, Darius Garland, Garland has not been in this situation before, right? And and we can kind of go on and on. And obviously, Evan Mobley has not been. And Jared Allen, you know, um, has has had some chance with Brooklyn to kind of play in the situation. But you know, the key guys on the Brooklyn side have an infinite amount of postseason experience, and I put a lot of stock in there. So I think Brooklyn wins that game. And then uh, you know, on the other side, Clippers, Wolves. You know, I think the Wolves should win that game. Um, but they are, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of variability to kind of how they show up too, but I mean, I, and I have no doubt Patrick Beverly's, you know, these guys are probably already sick of hearing Patrick Beverly get them ready for this game, <laughs> um, you know, tomorrow. Um, but you know, I, I have a lot of connections back to Minnesota, so I, I'll admit I'm rooting for the Wolves, uh, even though I, you know, I love watching Ty Lue teams play because he, I think he's one of the best, single best coaches in the league and coaches defense as well as anyone, you know, and he can really, really coach some defense. So I, I really enjoy watching the Clippers play from that vantage point, even though Marcus Morris is on the team, that aside. Um, product deleter, famous, you know, to your phrase there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to the games on Tuesday for sure. But I, I think Brooklyn should win that game. Um, I think that's pretty reliable. I think Wolves Clippers is closer to a top up, up toss up. But I think if the Wolves work on defense, that um, that they'll, they'll they'll get the win. But that they're a little like the Hawks, a little bit like the Hawks in the way that the effort on defense and the fundamentals on defense can be slippery for them sometimes. So. But looking forward to watching those, for sure. I wonder if, you know, that, again, it's, it's such a long, not a, such a long, but it's a longer than your typical break. I wonder if the Clippers will have time to really kind of get a grasp on what the, the Timberwolves do defensively in a way that, you know, it, it feels like the Timberwolves have had the advantage during the regular season of, hey, we can catch teams off guard by doing this, that this is – a little bit new for us. It's a little bit new for them. They don't really get the time to gear up for it. And I wonder if the, the extra time off will help the Clippers in that regard to get ready for what, what the Timberwolves do. I mean, we saw it in the Hawks game, like not that the Hawks had a super long time to prepare, but you know, if you do it right and you have the right personnel, there's certainly a chance to almost make that kind of defensive scheme look silly. Yeah, for sure. And Cat can make any defense look silly, right? He's just so dynamic with the ball and and is so versatile, three-level scorer as a big man and legitimate seven-footer and all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, one of the things I love about Ty Lue is that if his best defensive lineup is, you know, Amir Coffey and Luke Kennard. Oh, I was talking about and, the flip side. I was talking about, about the Timberwolves. I was, uh, yeah. The Clippers getting ready for what the Timberwolves do on defense. Oh yeah, I mean the the Wolves play that high wall defense where they pull that weak side wing into the nail yeah. like more than more than anybody, right? Yeah. Um, but so the, I mean, truly, like if you want to watch the Wolves, like when when they are pulling that guy into the nail, and then they're closing out on the weak side, exiting out on the weak side, second third efforts, they're really good. And, and uh, having guys like Jared Vanderbilt on the team who is just an, an energizer bunny on defense really helps you there. Having a guy like Patrick Beverly really helps you there Malik Beasley when he's engaged like when he's really kind of invested 
you know, he's a super athletic wing, you know, with, with decent length and size. Um, they can be a really fun team to watch play on defense. And, you know, and that's not their reputation. That's not their brand that they've had for a number of years. But at the same time, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Cat, I mean, and, and, and if Hawks haven't paid attention to D'Angelo Russell has been so good this year and brought so much leadership to that team, which is really nice to see him kind of break through some of his old patterns. And it's just a joy to, you know, to kind of to watch him. Jalen Noel as a backup point guard is, you know, one of the sneakiest good players in the whole league. I don't think any average fan even knows anything about. He's really good. Um, and he's really good on defense, especially. So, you know, they, they're a fun team to watch, um, but they're going to play that high wall defense and then work their tails off when <coughs> Chris Finch, who got an extension today, is getting what he wants from his squad, right? Um, they're really showing that second, third effort on the weak side and covering all that up. And then they're, and they're really good when they're doing that. I have no question that a T. Blue team is going to do all that stuff on every single possession. You know, I, I really don't ever question that because he'll he'll pull a starter off and put you know you know coffee in the game or whoever you know he he has and, and just roll with that if that's where you know the real effort's coming from and, and they'll make it work on offense and stuff. So, but you know, I, I feel like Brooklyn Cleveland's going to be it feels like that's going to be a little predictable. I think Clippers Wolves is wide open and should be a great watch. Yeah, the Clippers. Even, uh, the Clippers are kind of a un, underrated good shooting team. There's just a lot of shooters yeah. there, and so I, I think that's really going to help them against Minnesota. Yeah, but especially when especially when Batum's making shots, when Morris is making shots, yeah. and Terrence Mann has made himself into a um, kind of a credible, you know, um, you know, shooter, and he made himself into a nice kind of offensive complementary piece, and and things like that and you know and um we'll see how the rest of it shakes out but they'll you know they'll pull Zubach off and play you know lineups the five shooters with the two at the five you know yep. <laughs> they'll do that um and uh and it's interesting to see like how Covington kind of works in in there you know I think a lot of Hawks fans might not know like you know some of the roster changes that the Clippers had you know kind of coming down the wire and, and such so um yeah I mean that I mean uh, Kyrie's a fun watch. KD is, a, I mean, absolutely historically phenomenally elite, elite, elite player. And you want to see him. He, we don't know how much longer we'll have, you know, guys like that. You just don't know. Um, so not going to miss that. But in terms of like wanting to really watch how two teams attack a game, attack each other, that late game is, is the one I'm, I'm really salivating for. Yeah, it's really amazing that, you know, Kevin Durant, you know, a couple of years off of Achilles surgery and coming down the stretch here, he scores 55 against the Hawks, gets a career high in scoring. And then the last game, game 82, he had 16 assists. I think it was a career high in assists. I mean, just, just. And playing there. 24 minutes in every second half down the stretch here, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he'll, he'll do that Tuesday. I mean, he'll do that tomorrow if, if they need it. Bethany and Ky- Kyrie's been doing that. And, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, it, it, I mean, I always enjoy seeing young teams kind of get their first toe in the water with this. And so from that vantage point, watching Cleveland, you know, I remember sort of the first jazz team when Donovan Mitchell was there kind of pressing in and kind of pushing the Rockets. And, you know, it, 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 there's definitely something enjoyable and um, enlightening 
about watching a team kind of get there for, I, 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 like I said earlier, I, I don't think they really push them, but I, I think they'll learn a lot. I think this will be a, a wonderful feedback loop for them. And that's one of the reasons I'm a fan of the play in is that it, you get, you know, some of the younger teams can get, uh, you know, like would the Memphis team we have this year, would they be this if it weren't for what they experienced in the play in last year? You know, and, and my, you're like, then that's one game or, you know, whatever, right? Or, but that's a, that's a feedback loop that's like really rich in feedback and what you need to kind of do better and how, you know, how your mental approach needs to be a certain way and and stuff. So I think, you know, even if Cleveland loses, this young core they have is going to be better two, three years from now for having had this experience. And, you know, and, and from the Hawks standpoint, it may feel like, oh my God, they did it all the conference finals last year. So, you know, if they can't get into like a, a serious first round where they can take the six games, even if they can get into the playoffs, it's just a feedback loop for them and you know it it, it is you know for especially for Kwangwu and you know some of the kind of their younger guys and, and even trade just kind of dealing with um you know uh, defenses that are every year throwing more and more and more of their resources at him you know and how does yep. he how does he kind of deal with that so you know, more so for Cleveland, a young team like Cleveland. And there's not really a team in the Western Conference right now that I think is is kind of of that um, of that type, um, you know, but but, you know, we'll we'll kind of see we'll kind of see how that goes. But uh, I mean, maybe this maybe the Spurs, you know, are kind of in that same kind of range with their current roster and, you know, and things like that. But um, are they in? Did you, like, did you see the stat on the Spurs? Which the one? Spurs, I think they're. I think the Spurs are thirty-four and forty-eight for the season. They had a better point differential than the Bulls. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spurs That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is this is like for the Spurs and the Pelicans. It's it's one game, but it's like it's a great you know kind of feedback loop for the for those teams. And one of them will go on to play a second game, you know. Um, which will be you know, great, great for that team. So that, I mean, you know, guys like Deshante Murray and you know, you know, Lonnie Walker and you know, you know, all those different types on that team. The other guys, the young guys on the team, it's you know, it's just good. And then Herb Jones and you know, Jackson Hayes and you know, there, there's guys on, on the Pelicans too that just haven't kind of been in the situation. So you know, it's you know, there. I think a lot of casual fans might be like, "Hey, wake me up when the real playoffs start." But there's you know, for me, for the way I watch, I feel like what I value. I want to see how these young guys deal with this. I want to see how Garland kind of tries to rise up and kind of Absolutely. meet meet the kind of the competition level that KD and Kyrie are going to bring. It's going to be it's going to be good good stuff, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. All right then. Time to do the basketball. Time to do the basketball. One day off is enough. So back at it tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Thank Kevin. you for, for jumping in. I appreciate your time, sir. Anytime. Thank you. Night. Good night.